Welcome to the Grace Harbor Church Sermon Podcast. Grace Harbor Church is located in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information, visit our website at ghokc.com. So here we are in Jonah chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, um, get one. Uh, There's one in front of you. You don't even have to go get you one. Uh, There's one in the seat in front of you, and we're on page 774. We've got a lot to cover this morning, um, and I am really looking forward to it. And so last week, as we started uh, the book of Jonah, how did you feel after that pop quiz, by the way? Did any of you go read Jonah this week? Anybody? Good. Great way to go. I didn't even challenge you to do that. I would challenge you to do that this week. And so um, hopefully you didn't feel too discouraged by the pop quiz. Um, I gave myself the pop quiz. In fact, if you go back several weeks and and look at my notes from when I first started studying this, um, it's really funny to see where even I was on my understanding of the book of Jonah. And so we established last week when we kicked off week one of Jonah uh, that this is not ultimately a story um, about a fish. Probably when you took your pop quiz, you, everyone um, in some form or fashion probably wrote something about a fish. Probably. I don't know. But it's ultimately not a story about a fish. It's ultimately not a story about even a prophet. Um, it's ultimately not a story about the sea. It's ultimately a story about God. And we have to understand and recognize that this morning. It's about a God and about a kind of God um, who is compassionate, who pursues us, and who is merciful, and a God who at nearly every turn in the book is offering and making a way of salvation. And so last week we established that God is a missionary God. Uh, It's kind of a weird way to think about God, right? We think missionaries across the world. Well, foundational to our missions is the fact that God himself is a missionary. Um, He sent his son Jesus to a foreign land uh, to share the gospel. That's what he did, and that's what he has done for us. And so it's vital that we keep this theme of God's compassion and mercy and the, the, the missionary work of God. It's vital that we keep that in mind as we learn about Jonah's response to God's command in today's text. So last week was pretty much all about God. Today, we're gonna get to the response of Jonah to the command of God. And, and, and I've had a range of reactions to Jonah as I've studied this. Like some days I'm like, man, Jonah is just the worst, right? Like he is just the worst. Um, and then there's other days I'm like, man, Jonah makes a lot of sense. Um, like, I, like I feel him and I, and I see what he's, he's trying to do here. And so kind of a range of emotions on that. And so it seems though, Despite what our initial reaction to Jonah is, it seems that nearly everything going on in the book of Jonah is much deeper, it's much more complex, um, and it's even more profound than it initially appears to be. And so from God's command to the response of Jonah to the sailors to the fish, everything is more profound. Everything is more complex. Everything is much deeper, no pun intended with the bottom of the sea, right? Um, Everything is much deeper than just those things. Thank you, Katie, for laughing. Um, So we're going to read together verses one through three. Um, and, and, and the bulk of our time today is actually going to be on verse three, and then the rest of it just goes super quick. And so the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, 
that great city and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. The book begins with the word of the Lord came, and that is not an unfamiliar, um, uh, not an unfamiliar way for a prophetic book to begin. Most prophetic books, you're gonna open it up, the word of the Lord came to so-and-so. And each time that it is used, each time that the word of the Lord comes to one of God's prophets, it is assumed that whatever follows it will be met with obedience. That the prophet is the mouthpiece of God and whatever God tells the prophet to say, the prophet says. And so it's assumed that what follows this will be met by obedience and submission. But as we see here, this is not what happens, is it? Shake your head, no. It's not what happens. In fact, God's command to arise and go to Nineveh is met with Jonah arising to flee to Tarshish. Kind of a a funny response from a prophet of God. And here's the thing. Here's the thing about Tarshish. In this, Jonah is not even going to try to hide his disobedience. Those of you who are parents know how this often happens. Like Jonah's not even pushing things under his bed to try to convince you that he obeyed you, right? He's not pushing things under his bed saying, mom, I cleaned up. No, this isn't, this, this is so blatant that jo- Jonah not only says no, <laughs> Jonah flees to Tarshish, okay? Now let's understand a little bit about Tarshish. Let's look at a map. There's two things to understand. I have some maps up there, Quinn. There's, there's two things about Tarshish that will help us. Sorry for the blurriness. I'm not a tech guy. Um, but here we have Joppa. Joppa is Israel. Um, Joppa is just kind of in general, like uh, Israel is where this is. Um, and then we have the next picture is Nineveh. So the red dot at the bottom um, is Joppa. About 550 miles away is the city of Nineveh, which today is Iraq, northern Iraq, Mosul, Iraq. And Tarshish is the exact opposite direction, 2,500 miles away. And so as you can see, first to note is the incredible distance in the opposite direction that Jonah decides to travel, over 2,000 miles. Again, this is not Jonah pushing things under his bed and saying, I did it, Lord. This is Jonah looking at God and saying, no. So first to note is the distance that he travels, but then important to understand is at the time that, that God comes to Jonah, Tarshish, I don't know like, like exactly where the line is, Tarshish is about the furthest western edge of the known world. Jonah knows this. He says, not only no, to going to Nineveh, he says, no, no. I'm not gonna go any further than that. He says, no. And he goes to Tarshish, 2,500 miles away. Here's the thing that we have to see, y'all, to understand what's going on. This is a deliberate running away from what God has commanded him to do. There's intentionality in Jonah's decision of where he goes and where he lands. This is not Jonah merely running from the mission. This is not Jonah merely running from Nineveh. As the text says, 
Jonah is running away from God. We see that. How do, how do we know that? How do we know it's not just about the mission or the, about Nineveh? Because the text says, Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Jo- now, now, here's the thing to understand about this. Jonah is a prophet, right? Can we agree on that? Jonah's a prophet. Jonah's a prophet. Jonah's a Hebrew. He says this later. He's a Hebrew. Jonah, being a prophet and a Hebrew in the, in the people of God, would have trusted and would have agreed and, and would have also been aware of the writings of David, who in Psalm 139, verses 7 and 8, says, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? <laughs> if I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. Jonah would have known that he cannot flee the presence of God. And so this is meant for us as we're reading this almost kind of as an irony. Like you're supposed to laugh at, not, not at me, but at what's being written here, I think. I think there's, there's humor, there's personality in what's being written that when, when it says that Jonah ran from the presence of the Lord, what we are supposed to do is say, you don't do that. There's, there's no way to do that. Jonah would have known that. And so what is important for us to see from this is that there, there is no escaping from the presence of God. Can I just tell you that? That's, that's us. So this isn't just Jonah. This is us. There's no escaping from the presence of God. God is everywhere. God is no less present in Tarshish as he is in Nineveh, Right? God is no less present there. The, they, the, the psalmist says, if I, if I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are also there. So if God is in those places, he is no less present in one of these places than in the other. And so the book of Jonah opens with these first three verses with a theme and an instance of outright rebellion. And look at who the rebel is. Jonah the man of God, the one who believes the right things and does the right things. And so family, this is a a total spin for us. The application's kind of coming early this morning. It's not coming at the end, it's coming right now. This is some of the, the, the important thing for us to see because oftentimes we convince ourselves that rebellion looks like the Ninevites that rebellion looks like those people, right? That because we are doing the right things and saying the right things and behaving the right way, we are not living in rebellion. Many times we are externally religious, like what Jonah is. On the outside, everybody knows who he is. He is externally religious, but internally rebellion. I want to give you just a a really simple and profound definition of what rebellion is that will help us, give us a framework, and it will provide for us really no way of escape when we're evaluating our own faithfulness to the Lord. And this is the definition that I want us to work off of. Rebellion is saying no to God. That's what rebellion is. Rebellion is not On the outside, rebellion may look like going to Tarshish. Rebellion may look like fleeing, but rebellion is simply saying no to the Lord. Look at what happens when Jonah wants to disobey God in verse three. It says that he went down to Joppa 
and found a ship going to Tarshish. Isn't it interesting how this always works? That when we are rebelling or seeking something that we want, there's always a ship. You know, have you ever felt that? Have you ever seen that or allowed the Lord to convict us of, man, when we wanna indulge in our own desires, when we wanna do what we say instead of God says, guess what? There's always a ship. We see this over and over again, that, that someone's trying to follow the Lord in a particular area of their life, which again, if this is you, if this is you, we want you to know this is a good and safe place for you to like figure out how to follow the Lord. We're just, Mark Dever says, we're just all trying to help each other get to heaven, right? Now, of course, we don't save you and you don't get to heaven because of us, but we're just all trying to follow the Lord together. We're all trying to, to figure out what it means to be faithful, what it means to follow God. But, but when Jonah finds a ship, it's indicative of oftentimes what happens in our own lives where, where maybe someone's trying to follow the Lord in an area, like an addiction or a, or a, or a conflict or a relationship. And we somehow find a way to, to evade what God is calling us to do. We, we find the ship. The fact that you find a ship, just like here in the story of Jonah, does not mean that you have found God's will. It just doesn't. An open door doesn't necessarily mean God's will. Just as Jonah found a ship, we can find a ship in, in ways that take us away from the will of God. And here's the thing. If, if a ship headed for Tarshish will deepen your distance from God, guess what? Satan is going to have a boat waiting on you. He's going to have that waiting on you. So here's just my challenge before we move on. Is there an area of faithfulness in your life? Is there an area of, of faithfulness? Maybe it's, maybe it's someone you need to forgive. Man, like, We've talked about forgiveness before. And guess what? After Jonah, we're going into Matthew and Jesus has a lot to say about forgiveness. Can I just say that? And as hard as forgiveness may be, it is a simple act of obedience. Not, I'm not saying it's simple to do, but it is a, a simple command from God that we forgive those who offend us. It's a command. And so is there an area of faithfulness? Is there forgiveness is there, is there an area of stewardship in your life? Is there a, an area of commitment in your life? Is there an area of repentance that God is calling you to, to step into? Is there an area where you are living in rebellion with God, where you are simply saying no? And, no, and, no, and like nothing probably comes to your mind right away. But what is an area of faithfulness that God is calling you to lean into that you are just simply saying no to? You're rebelling in. And I know rebellion like sounds like a, you know, turn or burn, get sanctified or deep fried word. Like we're not, we're not talking about that. We're just talking about, is there any area of willful disobedience in your life that you have not given over to God? We can't run from God. We cannot escape. Notice, notice um, really as we read through, through all this, verse three, verse five, and chapter two, verse six, notice how often the words went down are used here in the first two chapters. Verse three, um, it says that, that Jonah uh, went down to Joppa. And then it says that he paid the fare and went down into the ship. Verse five, Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship. And then in chapter two, Jonah even acknowledges his own going down. He went down to the land whose bars are closed upon me forever. The picture is this, Jonah's not gonna stop going down 
until he reaches the bottom of the ocean. (laughs) Martin Luther says this about Jonah, not only the ship, but the whole world. The whole world becomes too small for Jonah. When you're running from God, not only the ship, but the whole world becomes too small for you to hide from God. Jonah finds no nook or corner in all of creation, not even in hell, is what Jonah says in chapter two, where he might crawl in. You cannot run from the Lord. You cannot escape God. So our attention then in verses four through six, let's read. It's drawn here to how deep Jonah's rebellion runs in these verses. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. This was, this was serious enough of a, of a storm that even the ship was like, we're out of here. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. A very quick note, not many storms frighten sailors. Have you ever watched Deadliest Catch? (laughs) Anybody like, those are some mean dudes. They are much meaner than the storm. And so in the midst of all of this, Jonah goes down into the ship and these guys are just losing their minds. Look at what the sailor says to him in verse six. Arise, call out to your God. This is a wake-up call for Jonah. Where else did Jonah hear these words? He heard it in verse two from God. Arise and go to Nineveh. And now God is sending this Gentile polytheistic sailor to Jonah to awaken him from his sleep. I really want us to understand about the book of Jonah. There's a lot of intentionality with the way that this is written. Like this isn't some stoic story. This is not some story that is uh, void of any kind of of humor. It's not not, um, of any kind of irony. It is a story that is intended to provoke within us certain images. And so when the sailor comes to Jonah, I believe that that there there is similarity in the words that the sailor speaks to Jonah and God is just on his heels saying, arise. And and Jonah would have immediately thought back to, I've heard this before. And then we need to look at the contrast of the mariners and Jonah. Look at at, um, the contrast of it. The mariners are this, probably these polytheistic pagans. What does polytheistic mean? It just means they believe in many gods as compared to Jonah, who is a God-fearing prophet who is living in disobedience. And so we, as people here, are monotheistic gods. We believe in one God. And these, these people were like, there's a God of the ocean, there's a God of this and this and this. And so certainly you've probably made this, the sea God mad. And so they are polytheistic pagans and Jonah is a God-fearing prophet. Yet the interesting thing is in here is that the mariners seem to have more faith in their false gods than what Jonah has in the true God. The mariners are coming to him and saying, we've got to figure out to appease the gods. They're fearful. And by no means am I ascribing to them some sort of like, you know, great thing that we need to emulate. But what the example here is that these men have more faith 
in the false gods that they worship than Jonah has in the true God that he worships and serves. And so verses seven through 12 says, and they said to one another, come, let us cast lots so that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. This verse reminds us that, that the sailors know what they know about the seas, that this is a different kind of storm. We gotta figure out like, they're, they're like, all right, who ticked off the gods? So we gotta figure out who it is. Let's roll some dice and figure out who it is. And of course, the lot falls on Jonah. So in verse eight, the lot falls on him. It says, they said to him, tell us, or verse seven says, so they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he told them. There it is again, Jonah fleeing from the presence of of the Lord. And so it's in Jonah's answer that draws our attention. This is, this is an important point, I think, in the book of Jonah. And so let's listen in here for just a, a couple of minutes. It's Jonah's answer that draws our attention to his possible motive behind his disobedience. And it's a massive point for us to consider in the story of Jonah. So Jonah is a prophet of God, which, as we stated last week, means that he served as a mouthpiece of God, um, primarily and ultimately to the people of God, to the chosen people of God, the Israelites. And so, yes, the prophets would prophesy about other people, but their prophecies to particular groups of people were, prim- were to the Israelites, were to the chosen people of God. So Jonah himself is a devoted Hebrew. So this means that Jonah knows something about the Assyrians and the Ninevites. If you go back to Isaiah chapter seven, if you go to Hosea chapter three, you see some of what is prophesied about the people of Israel and the Assyrians. Jonah knows something about these people and how they connect with what has been prophesied about God's people. Essentially this, Assyria is gonna destroy Israel. They're They're gonna wipe the people of God out. That is what has been prophesied. So what does this all tell us about the motive behind Jonah? It tells us that Jonah was convinced that that he could take things into his own hands and manipulate God's plan to save the Ninevites. So, So God tells Jonah to go to Nineveh and Jonah's like, I'm not going to Nineveh because if I go there and they're saved, they're gonna be able to follow through on what's been prophesied about us. And Jonah is trying to manipulate the situation by disobeying God. And so here's the deal, y'all. Like, this sort of makes sense to us. Remember earlier I was like, sometimes Jonah's the worst, and other times I'm like, okay, this makes sense. This sort of makes sense to us. Like, we can, we're good at this. We're we're really good at at manipulating things and, and trying to figure out good reasons why to disobey God, right? But Jonah believes that if only the truth could stay away from Nineveh, they would not be preserved. They wouldn't attack Israel. And so Jonah, <laughs> we have to see this, Jonah is a, is a patriot. He's a martyr. Like he loves his country as he should. They're the chosen people of God. But he is a, he is a patriot and he's a martyr. And he says, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give my life for them because if I go to Nineveh and the Israelites find out that I did it, they're gonna call me a traitor. 
They're going to call me a traitor for going there and giving them a message that's going to keep them alive rather than getting wiped out, which if we go to Nahum, we see a little bit later, Nineveh gets wiped out. God's in control, right? This is Jonah trying to control things. And Jonah loved his nation and he hated the Ninevites. He hated them. He hated the people that he was called to go to. He didn't want anything to do with them. So much so did he hate them that he disobeyed God to evade what God was calling him to do. And he could make sense of it historically, intellectually, right? Like this is an intellectual argument. This is a historical argument that, that you know, I just know better than God. Notice, notice the one question that Jonah doesn't answer in verse nine. They ask him these questions. We won't reread that because we already did. The one question that he doesn't answer is what is your occupation? Because what was Jonah's occupation? He was a prophet. And of course, in running from the presence of God, it is, it is not out of God's awareness that Jonah is fleeing. Remember, we've established, Jonah knows that. Jonah knows that God's in Tarshish. What he's running from is what, what God has called him and commanded him to do, which actually helps us relate with him much better. Because you or me, guess what? Like, as awesome as you might be, you're not a prophet. We're, we're not prophets. And so this isn't God run, this isn't Jonah running from being a prophet or, or, or running from the presence of God. It's running from the calling that God has placed on his life to be a mouthpiece for him. And so that is something for us to consider. He has abandoned his role as a prophet in order to take, take control of his own things. Isn't it amazing? I mean, like there, there may be, like I said a while ago, there may be no better justification in all of history to have disobeyed God than this. I mean, at least in our minds. I'm not saying that we can justify. I'm just saying in our minds, like this is a massive moment. Okay, God's promised to save the people of Israel and to use Israel in, in all of history. And, and yet God wants me to go there so that Nineveh can wipe us out. Like it, it makes logical sense. But it's amazing the ways that we can justify disobeying God. We are masters at manipulating God's plan. And if anyone, like I said, had the justification for disobedience, it might have been John. And so as much context, as much context as there is in this, there's a lot of context there, right? Like, oh, I didn't know that. Did any of you? Maybe, maybe some of you did. I didn't know that before really diving in, studying, studying Jonah, studying the book of Isaiah and looking at Hosea, looking at Nahum. There's a lot at stake here for the people of God. However, as much context as that surrounds this story and as much sense as this decision may make, we cannot overcomplicate or disconnect or justify the simple fact that Jonah is living disobediently with God. Man, like, give God all of your excuses. Give God all the reasons why you can't do what he's calling you to do. And, and maybe a lot of them make sense. Maybe a lot of it makes sense. But don't ignore the simple fact that what God commands of us, we are expected to obey him. Obedience, simple obedience. The right thing, as much as something might make sense, the right thing and the will of God are never at odds. They're never at odds. They're never like not sometimes, not most of the time, never. The right thing and the will of God are never at odds. And so then we just move on to verses 11 
through 17. And these are packed, and we're gonna see something incredibly beautiful about God in spite of the wickedness that runs deep in Jonah. So we're just gonna read it 11 through 16. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done as it has pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and they made Vows from every indication that we have, especially in this section, from every indication that we have in the book of Jonah, it doesn't seem that Jonah is fearful of death, does it? Doesn't seem that he's afraid to die. He's willing to die, actually. He 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 hopes he'll die. He says, "If I just die, then who's going to take? Who's going to Nineveh?" And so Jonah's not fearful of death. He's not fleeing Nineveh because he's afraid of dying. He's not afraid of dying in the boat. He goes down and he just takes a nap. He's just like, maybe I'll just, maybe I just won't wake up. You know, like maybe I'll just go down and, and, I'll, and I'll die and then that'll be great. And then here in verse 12, he essentially by his own admission shows that death is not what he fears. He says, man, like the, the, the storm didn't work. The boat didn't work. Just throw me over the side. He's willing to die. He's not afraid to die. In fact, in chapter four, you see that Jonah says to God, it's better for me to die, Right? So he's not fearful of death. But the response of the sailors is what is telling in that it seems like they are doing all that they can to avoid chunking Jonah over the side, right? It's like, well, they rode hard. In fact, the literal language in the Greek or in the Hebrew says um, that they dug their oars in. They dug in. They, they, man, they were like working to get to the land to try to avoid throwing Jonah over the side. And just like a, a really quick little note that we won't get off on too much. Why, why, why are the sailors more for the good of those around them than Jonah is? The, the sailors seem to be like, we, want, we don't want this guy to die. And Jonah's like, I'm just gonna keep disobeying God. I don't care who dies, especially the Ninevites. These, these men are, are kind of like after the good of, of those around them. And so by the end of this, you even have sailors crying out to God, something that Jonah has yet to do. Jonah has not yet cried out to God. In fact, the pagans pray before the prophet does. The pagans are who cries out and Jonah doesn't. Jonah's the worst. (laughs) No, he's like us. What does this tell us? I think something profound to see in this opening chapter that we cannot miss is this. And we're gonna see this in verse 17. The, The climax of the story for many of us is about to happen in verse 17. We cannot miss this. You can't miss this. So if you've checked out this whole time because it's been boring, just like listen in right now. God is a pursuing God. Not only is he a missionary God, but God is a God who pursues us. And we see that through this book. God is pursuing the Ninevites. God pursues Jonah. God is even pursuing these sailors. 
Like, do you think that what's going on in, in all of these people's lives is happening by, by happenstance? No, God is pursuing everyone. That's part of God being a missionary God, that God is seeking for himself a people who will turn to him and worship him and glorify his name from all tribes, tongues, and nations of the earth. Whether you are a whether you are a religious rebel, whether you are a a, a, or a a whether you're a pagan sailor, a religious zealot, or a wicked Ninevite, God is pursuing us. He's pursuing you. We don't know about the genuineness of the faith of the sailors. We just don't. It's, it, it says that they cried out to God. It says that they they offered a sacrifice to God. Um, they they do use the word Lord Yahweh, but maybe for them it was just another god for them to tack onto their other gods. But the point of the mercy of God here is not about the genuineness of the faith, again, of the sailors or the religiosity of the prophet or the the wickedness of the Ninevites. It's about the overwhelming mercy of a God who pursues us. How do we know this? Look at verse 17. Knowing all that we know about Jonah's journey down. Remember, he just kept going down, kept going down. And, and his willingness and his assumption that he would die. What does this tell us about the fish? Everything we know. Verse 17, the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. It's a lot of significance there that we won't get to today. But this is what we learn about the fish. The fish is not about punishment the fish is about preservation. The fish is not about punishment. It's about salvation. It's the fish is about a pursuit. That is what's going on in this story. What if this entire story, and I would say that it is, what if this entire story is about a compassionate and merciful God about God showing mercy to anyone and everyone and making a way of salvation at every turn for religious rebels, for wicked rebels, and even good rebels. What if that's what this story is about? The mercy of God pursuing us. The bigger story in the scriptures is this, is that there was another prophet. There was another man who was sent to a far off nation by the way, one much worse than Nineveh. That was just earth in general. There was another prophet, another man who was sent to a far off nation, to a wicked people, to a religiously zealous people, a people that would ultimately kill him. And instead of rebelling, instead of rebelling against the father, he obeyed the father. Instead of running the opposite way, he went right in. Instead of being passive in the salvation of those who hated him, because look at this, look like the, the, the sailors, they, they learned something, but it's not because Jonah's willing. It's because God uses Jonah in spite of Jonah. But this person was not passive in the salvation of those who hated him. Philippians would say that he humbled himself by What? Becoming obedient. By becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Friends, this mercy is available to us. 
Jonah is intended to show us just a small, imperfect, horrible picture of, of the Messiah who later would come on the same kind of journey, the same kind of mission. And if you think that the, that the Ninevites were any worse than us, yes, maybe their behaviors were barbaric and crazy, but when you think of what Jesus did to come to earth to us to save us, man, we are no better off than the Ninevites. We're no better than them. This mercy is available to us today. It's available to all. Can I just tell you that? This mercy is available to everyone who will turn to him. God is pursuing people for himself. He's seeking you to worship him. Hey, do you think, listen here one more time. Do you think that you're here today by accident? Like, Jim, do you think you're here today by accident? No. Eli, do you think you're here today by accident? No. Rick, Greg, Lindsay, Rory, happy birthday. Madeline, do you think you're here today by accident? No. You are here because, listen to this, God is pursuing you. He wants you. He's saying, come to me. And he is ready with mercy. Look at the Ninevites. He's telling Jonah, go to them and tell them to come to me because I want them. He says, I'm gonna put you on that ship. You're not gonna put you on the ship. I'm gonna put you on that ship. I'm pursuing those sailors. God is pursuing Jonah. Hey, Jonah, obey me. It is only in my presence where the fullness of joy is found. You are being pursued by a God who is ready to receive you and to show you mercy. He is more eager to show you mercy than you are to receive it. Like the, the level of your need and, and eagerness to receive mercy and compassion does not match to the tiniest bit God's desire to show you mercy. And all you must do is turn to him. Turn to him. And so there are people in here this morning, I don't know where you fall. Maybe there's an area of faithfulness and obedience that you would just say, you know what, Lord, I need to open my hands up and give you this area of my life. Maybe it's a, again, maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a, a, a forgiveness. Maybe it's something. I don't know what that is. But maybe it's just like, you know what, Lord, thank you for pursuing me and not abandoning me, though I've abandoned you. And there's, I know that there's some in here who have never given their life to Jesus. And listen, remember, you're not here on accident. God is pursuing you and he wants you to turn to him. And he is saying, come to me. I don't care what you've done. I'm pursuing you. And so I don't know, maybe you're like on the religious side of that pursuit where maybe you're just like, maybe you're the good church kid. Hey, God's pursuing your heart. He's not pursuing your behavior. He's pursuing your heart. Maybe you're, a, maybe you're just like a, like a complete phony. Like you don't, you don't even like wanna be here. God's pursuing you. He's saying, come to me, I have mercy. So I don't know what that is. And, and I don't know what kind of business you need to do with the Lord this morning. But I've just been like leading up to this, I was just challenged to make this offer available. That if you need to deal with something with the Lord, that you would do it. We're gonna sing together. Like if, you, if there's someone around you that you feel comfortable praying for, praying with, do it. If you wanna like come up here, I know that's weird, do it. 
Come up to the front and pray. Ask the Lord to give you his mercy and he'll do it. He'll throw it on you. I don't know what that is that you need to do, but we're gonna worship him. We're gonna come to the table and we're gonna thank God for his mercy. And we're gonna say, Lord, thank you for giving me everything when I, can, when I have nothing to bring to you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that your mercy for us is, is available and it's, and it's ready. And Lord, this, this truth this morning that, that you are a pursuing God. And so Lord, I'm even, I'm even encouraged and I'm even drawn to the mercy of God knowing that, that there are areas in my life where I'm being pursued by a merciful and gracious Father. That there's, there's areas of my life that I have withheld and, and not given everything to that that so many times it's easy to just to, to, to find a ship and go the other way. But Lord, help me to know that you are, you are pursuing me and that you want my heart and that, you, that you're, you're as, as we see in the story of Joni, it's almost like you're doing everything to get to us. So please help us this morning believe and know that. Help us to worship and sing to you out of an overflow of what is present in our heart. We love you, Father. We pray these things in your name. Amen.